Good morning, everybody. How are you? Hey, it's sunny outside. Yes, it is. Uh, I what was I? Somebody was saying something about not seeing the sun since sometime in November or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but it was. Oh my goodness! Coming from Spokane, where I mean, even in the winter, you get you get your nice sunny days. It, it's cold, but you get nice sunny days and and all of that. I was talking. I was at a conference this week and. Um, one of the guys, he used to live in Gig Harbor, and he was talking about, you know, sometimes the weather isn't necessarily as cold in this area, but man, it, it just stays, stays wet. And because it stays wet, it's like that cold just goes to your bones because you don't dry out for a long, long time. And, and that's true, and that's okay. But I, I enjoy it, actually. I'm glad we're here. Uh, my name is Nathan Harris. If you don't know me, um, I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration Center. I'm so glad you're all here with us today. Excited that you've come to join us. Uh, we are continuing our message series called Other today. Other. And here's the big idea that we're working off of for this series. To be a Christ follower means that we live other. We live other. What do we mean by that? We, whether, whether you've been a Christ follower for 80 years or maybe you're just investigating what it means to become a, a follower of Jesus or somewhere in between. All right, for all of us, uh, we need to understand that being a Christ follower means we are called to live in a way that is different. It's different than the world around us. It engages life in a way. Our lives are to engage life, are to engage circumstances, are to engage what we encounter day in and day out in a way that is different, that is other than the way that we see promoted in the world around us. A way that culminates uh, in, in being directed toward God and toward other people. Okay? And so we're looking at this through the lens of first Peter, uh, this is a really good book. It's a short book. It is a whopping five chapters long. Um, and it, it, honestly, you can probably read through it in about, oh, 20 to 30 minutes, something like that. If you're a slower reader like me, it might take you 30 minutes. But it, it's, it, it's, it's short, but it, it's power-packed. It's got all kinds of things in it. In the first part, in the first week, we began by looking at the mission Christ followers have been brought into. And, and here's the mission. Living as a kingdom of priests. Think, what? Are, are we Catholic? No, we're not. We're not Catholics. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being a Catholic, but, but we have been brought into this mission of living as a kingdom of priests. That means together we are all part of this priesthood. Something you have to understand about what priests do is that they represent God to the entire world around them. They're God's representatives. Every single place they go, every single situation they are in, they are representing the love, the grace, the mercy of God in and to those places and those people. That's what a priest does. But there's something else a priest does. A priest brings the joys, the hopes, the fears, the pain and the suffering of the world around them back to God in prayer and in work. And so we, as Christ followers, if you're a Christ follower, you're part of this we. We are called to be, we're, we're brought into this mission of being a kingdom 
of priests. Being people who live other in the world, representing God to the world and bringing the world back to God. In every situation and in everything that we encounter. We saw that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Last week in the second part, we, focused, uh, we moved from focusing on this general idea of living other to the specifics about how to do this. How do we live other in our culture, in our neighborhood, in the places of, of, of our work, where we go and have fun, in our families? We looked at how to live other in, this, in society is to live aligned with the gospel. It's bringing our lives into focus with the reality that we've been brought into. Okay, meaning our, our lives, our actions line up with the reality that God is king and making all things right. We're actually living out that, that reality in anticipation of it being culminated, of it being finished. It's not finished yet. There's still work to be done. We are, if you are in Christ, you are redeemed. You have been brought into God's family. You don't have to worry about any of that. We don't do any of this in order to be loved by God. Okay, we do this because we are loved by God. There's a difference there. And we, we looked at that from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9, and, or excuse me, 11 and 12. Now, if you missed either of those two messages, you can go to our website, ccpuallup.com, and you can click on the sermon podcast link, and uh, you can get caught up there. I encourage you to do that. That would be good. This week, we're, we're talking about living other in the face of suffering. This is not something that any of us really enjoy, is it? Nobody likes suffering. I don't know anybody who likes suffering. I remember the first time my son Caleb had a loose tooth. He was super excited because guess what? The tooth fairy was coming. The tooth fairy was coming. I had lots of fun with him on that. It was, it was, it was a blast. Uh, but the other thing that was going on is that every time he bit down that area, it was sore because he, he didn't want to try to remove the thing. He just, he just wanted to leave it there. He was afraid of the pain. As a matter of fact, my father-in-law approached Caleb and he said, Caleb, if you let me pull this tooth out of your head, I will give you $5. How many of you would like to go to a dentist that actually paid you for the pleasure of removing your teeth? Okay. That would, that would be pretty good, right? I, I, wouldn't, I would not be offended by that. And I tried to encourage my son to engage in this. Dude, five bucks. Five dollars. I think he was, he was uh, three or four, somewhere in there at this time. But he was so afraid of the pain. He was so afraid of, what, of, of the suffering that he didn't want to let my father-in-law do this. He wouldn't let him touch it. Okay. Show of hands, how many of you here like pain and suffering? Raise them high. Look around. <laughs> Nobody does, right? It's not fun. And, you know, I, and I'm not at all trying to make light of suffering. Some of you have been going through things for years. Maybe it's a relational issue or a financial issue. Maybe it's, it's, it's a health issue, but it's been reoccurring and you've been going through this for years. It's not fun. I've got things in my life. They are not fun. I can identify with my son, Caleb. I hate pain and suffering. I will go to great lengths to attempt to avoid 
pain and suffering. I do things like ignore. I'll ignore situations. I will deflect. I, I will insist on keeping my current course despite the fact that it might be causing me pain because the pain of the change at that moment is greater than the pain that I'm, I'm encountering. Anybody else done anything like that in their lives? Yeah. And it's not until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the possibility or just so intense that it's like, you know what, I got to get through this. I got to, I got to change something. I got to get beyond this that I'm willing to, to engage that, that, that other pain. Anybody else? Yeah. We do that. This is how the world deals with pain and suffering. We get mad. We avoid it. The problem is that with all of this, it doesn't actually remove any of the pain and suffering, does it? We still go through it. We still experience it. We still have those relational issues in our lives. We still have those, those the, maybe the health issue or the financial issue, whatever it is, it only, those, that way of dealing with the pain and suffering actually only lengthens it. You see, the question of whether or not we will experience pain and suffering, that, that's the wrong question. Experience in life tells us that what? We're going to experience these things, aren't we? The more profitable question is, will we simply go through our pain and suffering or will we grow through our pain and our suffering? Are we merely going to go through it? Are we merely going to slog through the, the stuff of life and, and the things that we encounter and, and not be changed as we go through it, keeping our head down and getting through it as fast as we can, ignoring as much of it as we can, or are we actually going to embrace it and grow through the pain? Jesus told his disciples this, and it'll be up on the screen for you, John 16, He said, I have told you these things. He's, what, 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 did, what did he tell them? He told them, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father, and I'm preparing you for this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. All right? So he, he, he says that peace is found in him, all right, it, it's not in the circumstances, it's found in him. And then he goes on, he says, in this world, you're going to be happy all the time. What? No, that's not what he said, is it? In this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have pain. You're going to have suffering. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to say all kinds of nasty things about you. You're going to experience this. But take heart. I have overcome the world, he says. I've overcome it. You see, Jesus says what we just read here in the same, it, he's using the same context that Peter talks about suffering in the passage we're focusing on 
this morning. He's talking about suffering for following Jesus and doing what is right. Suffering for following Jesus and doing what is right. Now, that's the specific suffering that's being addressed in the passage we're looking at today. So I want to be, I want to be 100% clear about that, this. But on a larger scale, as we go through other pain and suffering that maybe isn't about persecution, maybe, like I said, it's about uh, finances or health or, or relational things, there is something that we need to do. There are things that we can put in place uh, through this. Here's what Peter said. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. You can turn there if you want. I'm not going to read it. I'm, I'm going to summarize this section for you. The first thing Peter says is, don't be surprised by the suffering, by the persecution, by the difficulties you encounter as if this is something strange. He says, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that, you are, that is coming upon you. Why would he say that? Because Jesus is a different king coming in and beginning to rule the world. And the world doesn't like it. Jesus told his disciples, if, if they loved me, they will love you. If they, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why? Because you represent me. That's what he said. Don't be surprised as if this is something strange. This is actually the normal way of things. We look at pain and suffering or, or this persecution or whatever else as, as something to escape, and God says, this is normal. This is, this is life. Don't be surprised. The second thing he says, this suffering, this persecution means you're actually participating in the very suffering of Jesus. This is something that, that is odd to us. We see our suffering as ours, okay? But, but some way, somehow in our suffering, that suffering is joined with the suffering of Jesus. It's brought together. It becomes one in the same. And so our suffering is actually contributing to his. And why would that be important? Because that is how God brings redemption in the world. It's through the suffering. We don't want to hear this. We don't want to accept this. We want, suffering is some, supposed to be something that we get away from. But God actually, this is where love flourishes. This is where love takes root and does what it's supposed to do. It's in the middle of this suffering. It's when we are bearing with somebody else or one another or, 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 or whatever else. In the middle of this suffering and God joins that to what Jesus suffered and, and it becomes part of this greater redemptive work. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of. Further, he says, he, he turns to, to something very practical here. He says, this is going to be a Nathanism. Okay? This, this is not actually in First Peter, but he basically says, don't be stupid. <laughs> All right? How many of you here have ever made, let's face it, Dumb decisions. 
How many of you here have ever suffered because of your dumb decision? Yeah, Peter says, don't suffer for doing wrong. Don't invite suffering on yourself as a consequence of your poor choices. That's what he says. So let's, let's be clear. <laughs> Not all suffering is equal. <laughs> all right? Suffering for good or suffering that God is taking us through is different than, than poor choices that I make. Now, God still loves me in those. I want to be clear about that. He is still for me in those. He can still use those and bring redemption through them. But there's a certain element of, well, I kind of made my bed. <laughs> I, let's, let's just be honest. You know, Peter says, don't suffer for doing wrong. That's, that's an empty and pointless kind of suffering. It's unnecessary. And then he says, allow God to do what he wants through what you encounter. Allow God to do what he wants through what you encounter. Encounter. So rather than merely going through suffering in its various forms, how do we walk through suffering in this redemptive manner that brings the kind of life God desires? How do we do that? How do we live other through suffering? Here's our main thing this morning. To live other through suffering is to live with Jesus's attitude. To live other through suffering is to live with Jesus' attitude. What do I mean by attitude? Oftentimes, when my kids are in the middle of being grumpy or maybe they're being mean to each other or disrespectful or whatever else, nobody else's kids ever do this, I'm sure. Just mine. Um... Anytime they're, they're doing something that I, I don't want them to do or they're behaving in a way I don't want them to behave, like I, I say something like, change your attitude. Any other parents ever done that? Yeah. Change your attitude. What do we mean by that? Well, I don't know about you, but typically when I tell my kids, change your attitude, I'm saying, change the way you're feeling so that your behavior changes. Why would I say that? Because their behavior at the moment is inconvenient to me. <laughs> so I'm expecting them just to change what, what I'm saying. The message I'm giving them is that I'm expecting them to change how they're feeling inside. Here's the problem with that. It's unrealistic. Attitude is a way of thinking leading to behavior regardless of how we feel. Attitude is a way of thinking. It's a way of viewing the world. And, and it's a decision that we make pre, you know, based on how we view the world. Of how we're gonna, it's a decision of how we're going to respond in and to the world around us. The situations, the things that we encounter despite how we feel. Now, there's nothing wrong with emotions. Emotions are good. Emotions are God-given. We need to pay attention to them. They let us know what's going on inside of us. 
Okay, so I'm not telling you to not be emotional. I'm saying our attitude, our mindset needs to be that of Jesus. It needs to be the mindset that he had, that did, that where he determined what he would do and how he would do it. I'm not saying that it, he plotted out every single situation in his life. We can't do that. But we can predetermine some basic things in our lives based on how we view the world and what we think to be true within it. We need to live with Jesus' attitude. We see this throughout the New Testament and we see it in the passage for this morning in 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 2. They will be up on the screen for you. Um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read and explain and read some more, so we're going to go through this one together. Here we go, 1 Peter chapter 4, picking up in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body. See, Jesus knew he was going to suffer, and he embraced it. That's what Peter is talking about here. This is shorthand. This is, we're, we're getting a very short version of what the Gospels explain. All right, if you read through the Gospels, you're going to see Jesus a number of times saying, the Son of Man must suffer, be persecuted, and die. He's, he says that over and over and over again. He predicts this. And so Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, he expected it, he embraced it, and he lived it out. That's what he says here. He goes on. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Adopt, take on, make Christ's mindset your own. What mindset is that? Suffering is actually necessary. It's actually part of the plan. It's the thing through which God finally accomplishes what God is going to accomplish. It's what Jesus said about unless a seed falls and dies, it can't produce. This is the upside down kingdom. Okay? Arm yourselves. Take on this very attitude, he says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Show of hands, how many of you are completely done sinning? I can't raise my hand. I, I still make mistakes. I still do things. Peter is not talking about cessation of all sin in terms of uh, you never ever are going to do something wrong ever again. You're never going to think a bad thought. You're never going to have a bad attitude. You're never going to whatever. Okay? He's talking about leaving a lifestyle behind. I'm done living in that lifestyle. Whoever suffers in the body has renounced the previous way of life. That's what he says. Verse 2, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. 
Peter says here to do what Jesus did, to live with an other attitude. We need to pattern our attitude after Jesus. We need to take on his attitude. Make that our own. So how do we do that? If you're taking notes, number one on your outline. Consider difficulties as worth enduring. Man, consider difficulties as worth enduring. In order to pattern our attitude after Jesus, we must count difficulties as a worthwhile experience. It's not wasted time. It's not something just to despise or circumvent or anything else. My, one, my wife and I once convinced our son Caleb to save some money. He had uh, done some work and... Um, you know, he's, he's a little kid, so it wasn't like he was out digging ditches or anything. But he, he, he had earned some money doing some work. He, had, uh, he got some money for his birthday, and it was starting to burn a hole in his pocket. You know, he's a little kid. He wants to spend this money. He's seeing all kinds of things that he can invest in, that he can get and have fun with. But we knew that there were some things that he actually really wanted, and so we were encouraging him. Dude, save your money. Save your money, save your money. Until he finally had enough, he was able to purchase a couple of Lego sets that that he was really interested in. He got an X-Wing and a TIE Fighter, and it was like, whoa, man, this was so cool. He, He loved it. His patience and his saving paid off. We see this kind of principle all the time in the world around us. A sports star with a diligent work ethic knows this. I remember seeing a a, a report once about Jerry Rice. Anybody remember Jerry Rice? Great uh, receiver for the 49ers. Don't boo too loud. Um, um, But he he had this incredible work ethic where even in the off-season and during his his season, there was this crazy hill outside of San Francisco. He would run up every single day. He did this all of the time, and he attributed much of his success to this work ethic. He paid the price. He did what he needed to do for the payoff later. We see this in in people who have learned to play musical instruments so well. People who have, who have put the time in, the sacrifice, the, the pain even. I mean, I, I've, I've, I play the guitar a little bit, and there is some pain involved in there because you're, 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 you're building calluses on your fingers. Sometimes you get blisters or they start bleeding or, you know, that kind of a thing, depending on how dry your hands are or whatever. But, 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 but there's some physical pain that actually goes into learning this. But you don't get really good unless you're willing to pay that price. You don't have the payoff later. This doesn't just come to you. You've got to work for it. Here's what Jesus did. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to have the words up on the screen for you. The author says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The sin specifically that he's speaking of here in in, in the book of Hebrews that the author is, is speaking of is this uh, turning away from God. All right, this is a community that has been under persecution. They're they're experiencing difficulties. They're asking the question: If God is so good, why are we experiencing these things? And 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 the the author there says, 
don't turn away from God. He says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I love this line. Um, anybody else here a Lord of the Rings fan? Besides me? A couple of you? Okay. Well, you guys will get this. The rest of you, I am now indoctrinating you. Um, there's, there's this scene in the Lord of the Rings in the book. It comes out really well. You see it in the movie as, as well in the first one, The Fellowship, where Frodo, the hobbit, says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish that none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf has this very wise reply. He says, so do all who live to see such times. It's not up to them to decide the time that they're in. It's only up to them to decide what to do with the time. The author of Hebrews here says, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Listen, you cannot choose all of the things that happen. You can't. Zero control. I hate that idea because I like to have control over things. Okay? But we have zero functional control over a lot of the things. Now, I can make some dumb decisions and I can choose to make some good decisions. But beyond that, there's a lot that I just don't have control over. And, and the author says here, run the race that's been marked out. Run it. Run it with perseverance. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. In other words, the one who has gone on before and blazed the trail ahead of us. He has established what faith is, what it looks like, the direction that it is headed. Fix your eyes on him. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. How many of you have ever gone to the cross? Me neither. Jesus did. He endured it, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to see something here. The path to glory was through the suffering the path to the glory came through the suffering. You guys, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be difficulty. Don't despise it. Verse three, consider. In other words, think about, apply the lesson. Take on what he did. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Anybody here feeling weary? There's some areas where I am. Yeah. Consider Jesus. Look to him. so that you will not lose heart. Jesus' attitude toward persecution and suffering is that it was, worth to, it was worth it all to accomplish all that God was accomplishing. So here's the question. Do you believe the suffering you encounter is worth it for the sake of what God wants to do? Do you think it's worth it? 
or are you trying to avoid it? Listen, there's no shame, there's no guilt. I, I confessed already, I try to avoid things. <laughs> this is for me as much as it is for anybody else, okay? This is a question I have to answer every single day when I'm faced with uncomfortable situations or with the possibility of being ridiculed by people who don't know Jesus or I simply am just tired and really want an easy way out of a difficulty I'm facing. Is what God wants to do through me worth going through the pain of whatever it is I'm facing? I can't answer that for you. That's something you've got to decide for yourself. I think you can get encouragement here in the community. I think we can encourage one another in this. But each of us individually have to look in the mirror and we have to decide, is it worth it or not? Will I run the race marked out ahead of me or not? You see, Jesus thought that it was worth it. Do I? Do you? The first thing we need to do is consider difficulties as worth enduring. As worth enduring. Number two on your outline, rest in the fact that God is present in difficulties. Here's the good news. We don't go through it alone. We don't go through it alone. Uh, I remember the time my son Caleb broke his arm. He, he ended up with a bow fracture. Uh, he was about four years old. We were out on a walk, and he was chasing down a bird or something like that, and he tripped and fell, and he put his arm out to, to, to catch himself, and, and it got really, it, it bow fractured. I didn't know it at the time. I felt horrible. Didn't even take him to the doctor until the, the next day because it didn't look like anything was really wrong. I just thought he was, you know, crying um i felt so horrible i did i felt terrible because as it turned out he had a bow fracture there was it wasn't a clean break in the arm it wasn't even a hairline fracture but 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 part of his forearm was actually bowed a little bit his his bones were still soft they hadn't calcified and, and hardened all the way so so it gave a little bit and we had to take him to the doctor and I had to sit with him in the doctor's office while the doctor put this cast on his arm and pushed down on this bow to set the thing right so that it would heal properly and he's crying and my heart is breaking and I'm trying to hold his hand and I'm I'm just there with him there's literally nothing else I can do but sit with my son Here's what we're told in Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. Again, it's going to be up on the screen for you. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? All right, so this is, this is family talk here. It says, my son, do not make light of. In other words, don't despise, don't run away from, don't shun, don't try to escape the Lord's discipline. Discipline here is training. 
it, it's not this inconsequential or just pointless, hey, I'm going to take you outside and I'm going to beat you up a bit. That's not discipline. Discipline is training. That's what he's talking about here. It, it's not that it's comfortable or that it feels good, but it is training in a direction. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. You ever been rebuked? You ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, knock it off. It says, don't lose heart when that happens. Verse six, because the Lord disciplines, he trains the ones he loves. And he chastens everyone he puts up with. What? What does it say there? Everyone he accepts. Everyone he accepts as his son, as his child. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as training. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. At one point in this passage, the author says we're actually illegitimate children if we do not experience the discipline of God. There's, there's a claim on us through that discipline that actually means it, it, it's the stamp of God's approval on our lives. He's claiming us as his kids. That's what this is saying. I love this verse. Because it says, it says a couple of things about God. First of all, it says, God is the present father. He's the present father. He's near to us. He cares about us. He isn't merely sitting in a room near us as the doctor does what he needs to. God is actively carrying out his purpose in and through our lives. I was talking to somebody this morning. He is always working always at work. He is present. The other thing that I think is really cool here is that our identity is child. We belong. We belong. We're his children. What this all means is that we need to be present to God, our loving, gracious Father. He's present to us as his children. Now we get to be present back to him as our Father. You see, resting in the fact that God is present to us doesn't mean that we just get to sit back and enjoy the ride, that there's nothing for us to do. It actually means that we are active participants in what he is doing. We are running the race marked out for us under his guidance, under his leadership, under his empowerment. Rest in the fact that God is present by following him where he leads. God, what are you doing? Where are you taking us? Number three on your outline, live forward. This is part of Jesus' attitude. Live forward. This is all about living with the goal in mind. Where are we heading? Where are we going? 
What's the destination? I remember uh, when I was in Bible college, <clears throat> all four years, three times a year, I had to go up to the Bible college and there was a day marked out for us where we signed up for classes. Why would that be necessary? Because I, I, at the, I was given a list of classes for my particular degree, all right, and I needed to make sure that I took all of those classes. So I went off of the list. I couldn't just sign up for any classes that I wanted. Otherwise, I would, I would not have finished my degree. Okay? Or maybe I would have eventually, but it would have taken a whole lot longer. So what I had to do is I had to go with this list in mind and say, okay, what haven't I taken? And what can I take at the times that are given for me? Here's what we're told in Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. God, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share. The share there is all about participation. It's about becoming like, all right? In order that we may share in his holiness, in his otherness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. There's the acknowledgement. Anybody else can agree with that? Yeah. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's a direction to God's discipline, to his training. It's, it's not simply that he's doing this to us like some harsh, mean, disinterested parent. I remember uh, there was one time I, I went to visit my grandpa and grandma. I had an uncle who was already there. And this uncle was trying to tease me, and I think he was trying to have fun, but he kept tricking me into shaking his hand. And every time he did, he'd squeeze my hand in such a way and kind of move his fingers to where it, it kind of, my, the bones in my hand kind of, not really popped, but just kind of rubbed against each other. And it hurt. And he was having fun doing this. Okay, but he kept tricking me. Okay, I, I really, I'm, I, I want to shake your hand for real this time. And then he did it again big stinker. See, that's not God. God's desire is to make us like him. That's the point of the discipline. It's on purpose. It's not because he enjoys watching people suffer or anything like that. It's because he's trying to produce something. And that only comes through the training through the difficulty, through the struggle. To live forward means we live into that discipline. We avail ourselves to God and what He wants to accomplish, taking up His program so that we can complete what He has for us to complete. We do this by doing what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. I want to read this section and then I'm going to sum it up for us. Okay, here it is. It'll be up on the screen for you. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have. 
received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So let me sum this up. How do we live into this discipline? First of all, we pay attention so we can pray. And I I think Peter here is probably remembering back to his time in Gethsemane, right before Jesus was arrested and the disciples kept falling asleep. Peter says, stay alert, stay awake, stay focused on what's going on so you can pray. Second thing he says is love because love makes everything Right. Love fixes everything. That's, that's what he says. Love covers a multitude of sins. He's saying love, it's not that, that, that love um, ignores those, those multitude of sins. It's not that love covers it up like, oh, well, we're just going to hush this up. No, it's just love overcomes those things. He says love Love deeply, love from the heart. This is part of how we live into this discipline. And then he says, use your God-given gifts for the benefit of others. In the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your difficulties, use whatever God has implanted in you for the benefit of other people. Keep moving forward. Live into God's discipline in our lives. He says, go all in. Sell out, go all in. You guys, to pattern our attitude after Jesus, we need to live forward. Number four on your outline. Trust God. Trust God. This one is for everybody here, but especially for all of us who are control freaks. Okay? I can't tell you how many times I, I, I have short-circuited things because I thought I needed to jump in and, and fix something. I didn't have the patience. I, I wasn't walking with endurance. I was freaking out and I was trying to, to control something. Trust God. I remember a time I was part of a team building exercise involving blindfolded staff. Maybe you've encountered something like this where uh, you're, you're teamed up with people but it's in a room with a whole bunch of teams and you have to listen for your team member's voice because as you're blindfolded, they're not touching you but they're directing you how to move from place to place and there was a lot of fear and trepidation in this room. I hated it. <laughs> Because what if I tripped over something? What if I ran into somebody? What if I fell down and hurt myself? Earlier in 1 Peter, Peter addresses this. This is uh, 1 Peter 2, 23. It's up on the screen for you. It says, when they hurled their insults at him, speaking of Jesus, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He didn't. 
retaliate. See, in, in, at this point in history, there was one, one thought of the way that you dealt with your enemies and people who were persecuting you or, or hurling things at you was that you shouted back at them. You just shouted back at them. You called curses down on them. This was the pattern of, of, of how they understood life was supposed to be lived. You do something to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yell right back at you, even if I can't actually physically affect you in any way. I'm, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to be just as obtuse right back to you. Jesus doesn't do this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Here's the reality. We are going to encounter suffering and difficulties. And as I said earlier, the only question is, Will we merely go through these things or will we grow through them? If the answer is we're going to grow through them, then we must trust God with everything. Knowing that he is even able to raise the dead. When I am trusting God, I am trusting him to make things right. Even if I don't see it immediately, I am trusting him to make things right. That this isn't the end of the story. That because of who God is, the fact that he is good, the fact that he is present, the fact that he does accept me as his child tells me that I can trust him, that no matter what happens here, it's going ultimately to be okay. It's going to be good. Again, I may not see that right here and now. But right here and now is not all there is. to pattern our attitude after Jesus through suffering. We need to consider all of our difficulties as worth enduring. I want to have the band come on back up, please. To pattern our attitude after Jesus through all that we suffer, we need to consider all of our difficulties as worth enduring. We need to rest in the fact that God is present in our difficulties. We're not alone in them. We need to live forward and we need to trust God. I know that this is a difficult talk. This is one that we don't like to hear. We don't want to have to experience. There's so much in our world and, and frankly there's even so much in 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 the realm of Christianity that tells us that God wants us to be healthy and happy and whole. And, and I think, I believe God wants to bring us into wholeness. But I think God is more concerned about us becoming like him than he, than he is even about our happiness right here and now. Embrace 
the suffering. Don't wallow in it. Don't suffer for the wrong reasons. Don't make poor decisions, but embrace that suffering. Because the work that God wants to do in and through you in that is going to be worth it. Everything is going to be brought into Jesus and he is going to make it part of him. What situation, I want you to think about this for a minute, what situation can you live this out in right here, right now? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at work or school. What might our community, not just here at, at Celebration Center, but South Hill Puyallup look like if instead of trying to escape from these things, we entered into them and we ran that race marked out before us so that God could accomplish all he wants to accomplish, what might happen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that even though you do call us into this life that includes suffering, that you are with us in it and that you are empowering us through it and that ultimately you are bringing your life to bear in the world around us, in and through us, through, through what we do. God, I pray that that would be encouragement to us that we would be able to latch ourselves onto you and onto each other as we live other in this aspect. Teach us to do this by your spirit. Empower us to do this by your spirit as, as we scatter this week and go into all of the places that we go to. Have your way in us. Have your way in us. Would you all stand with me, please? We're going to sing this. Uh, we're going to sing a short portion of the song "Canons" that we sang earlier. Just make this your declaration, focusing outward on God and away from maybe even what you're you're necessarily going through. Giving what it is that you're you're encountering right now to Him, acknowledging that He is bigger and maybe He wants to do something through it. Let's sing this, and I'll come wrap us up. You guys, he is great, and he is good. And I want to encourage you. He cares about what you're, what you're going through, and he wants to be with you in it, but he wants to use it for his purposes. Will you let him do that? Let's go this week doing that, living other by embracing rather than running from. If you need prayer, come this way. I'd love to pray with you. If uh, you just want to connect, I'd love to chat with you. So come on up. You guys, thanks for being here. Go this week knowing that God loves and is with you. Thanks for coming.